What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 210 of the DFS Dose podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, and today, once again, my co-host, my brother in spirit, Joey Carrion, will not be joining us for this audio adventure. I know a couple people have been asking about where he's been. I'm just going to say that he's dealing with some real-life shit right now, and sometimes the pressures of life take precedent over the podcast. So, in the meantime, let's send our uh, send our guys some positive thoughts and keep this thing moving. Thankfully, today I've got a guest, an incredible guest at that. You may know him from his Twitter alias, Chess Liam, or you may know him as the man who single-handedly took down Underdog's Best Ball Mania 2 last season, shipped the first ever million-dollar first place prize in best ball history. Liam Murphy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Actually, I, I took down a, a million and one dollars. Let's let's oh, make sure that oh let's make sure that's recognized. And I, and I think I actually I think DraftKings maybe did have a milli maker the year before. So I think I was did they? The, I think I was the second and third, but I'm not I'm not quite sure. But uh, thank you for having me on. Regardless, excited to talk about some fancy sports here. I should have my own channel up and running soon. Came down with COVID. You may still hear it in my voice a little bit, but uh, that, that'll be up and running. You could just check my Twitter for that. Yeah, please do. I mean, this guy, he won a huge tournament, so you're, you're going to want to know what he has to say. And I want to start by just sort of going back to the BBM to victory. For me, I won drafters 10K last season, and that was a crazy sweat for me. But I can't even imagine what it was like to be sweating those final moments leading up to your victory. So take me back, you know, paint me a picture. Tell me what it was like. Yeah, so actually, let's start the year before, um, because the year before is when I first got into best ball. And, you know, my homies from from home, I grew up in New Hampshire. I had a chat group with them, and I was kind of joking with them like, hey, guys, like, you know, if I ever make if I make this final week. I was only playing DraftKings at the time, like, you know, let's all fly down and sweat this out. Didn't didn't make the finals two years ago, but it just so happens I was on my uh, my cousin's bachelor party, who's like really, you know, he's closer to a brother than me. We grew up in the same town. And so we were down in Key West, me and my best friends from home on on his bachelor party. Um, and you know, we started watching the games. I knew I knew I had a team in the finals. I knew I had a really good shot. Um, just because the, you know, the ownership percentages of the players really condense in these contests, especially underdogs format where, you know, you advance in the playoffs. So like, you know, like half the field had Mark Andrews, half the field had Cooper cup. I didn't have those guys. So it was pretty easy to like know who we're rooting for and against. And so, you know, we're starting the morning games and they're going great. Um, I have Josh Allen. He scores two rushing touchdowns in like the first quarter. You know, I'm ecstatic. Um, I have Damian Harris. He scores two rushing touchdowns and then gets hurt. Um, and then Ramondre Stevenson, I think, scores two rushing touchdowns. And I also had a team in the Puppy Finals on Underdog. So uh, it was like a 50K to first. And I actually was in first after the morning games on that um, because, you know, Jamar Chase is just going absolutely nuclear and only about 10 teams had him. So I knew I knew I needed him too, but he was like really the only elite, elite wide receiver I had. And so things are going great. We we watch the, the morning games and then we go to the bar for the afternoon games. You know, all the games are on. And I had I had a Rashad Penny and a Monroe St. Brown stack. And they are just like 
trading touchdowns and it's becoming surreal. It's like, oh, I'm I'm like I'm in first and and I had Noah Fan and the and the there you know, the Broncos are getting beat the shit out of by the Chargers. Then Noah Fan scores like a garbage time touchdown just to end the afternoon games and it became like almost insurmountable that like I couldn't be beat. You know, like I checked a couple teams because still um Devontae Adams still had to play and a lot of people had him. And then Nick Chubb still had to play, mm-hmm. and a lot of people had him. So I checked the teams. It was going to be, you know, I needed to fade, like, nuclear games from either of those players, and it was going to be fine. I, I ran pure. You know, obviously it wasn't confirmed until the Monday night game, so all my boys left on Sunday. They flew back home. I watched the Steelers-Browns game by myself at, at down in Key West. And, yeah, it, I mean, it took a long time for it to – to hit home and I, I still don't know if it, it still has but it was it was an incredible day yeah no that that sounds awesome and I was in a similar boat with the Noah Fant thing because I think a lot of the teams uh that got to the finals had Mark Andrews because he was just going absolutely nuts in those couple of weeks through the playoffs and then you know Noah Fant ended up outscoring him which was clutch for the people who had Fant uh in that spot yeah, he was three percent. He was three percent owned in the in the underdog finals. Yeah, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit, uh, and how ownership plays into these best ball tournaments. I asked my Discord if they wanted me to ask you anything, and the the main question that I got was, you know, people are just curious about the winning process. You know, do they call you, congratulate you? <laughs> just tell tell the people who want to know, who who want to become that, uh, what the process is like afterwards. I mean, I see the ring on your Twitter. That's pretty sweet. Oh yeah, I got, I got that here too. Um, the the process was, you know, like we swapped emails back and forth. Um, with some, I think like I reached out, like, hey, you know, like what happens now? Because you can't just withdraw. Like on the site, they let you withdraw money, and you can't do that with a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, like they they reached out, we confirmed the wire. I think I like missed an email too. And so like, I was like, why is this taking so long? It was totally just, just my fault. And I think I got, I think the, you know, like first the money had to hit my underdog account, which they wait until stat corrections happen, which is, um, I think like the Thursday after. So the longest four days of your life. Yeah. So I had to, I had to wait for that. Then I get the money in the underdog account and then I had to wait another week to send them um my wire information and then so like once the money finally hit my my bank account that's when i was like oh okay you know like <laughs> but it, until then like you're like oh you know like i won yeah. but you know I, I don't have it quite yet all right so so can confirm you know mark cuban didn't ha- you know phone call you directly to, to no no that i mean that would have <laughs> that would have been <laughs> that would have been something all right well well let's talk a little bit about this year and you know i want to get your thoughts on sort of like the current landscape of best ball because you know it was a huge deal when bbm2 came out last year it was you know a massive tournament and this year all all of the sites are scaling up you know this this year's bbm3 is going to make three separate millie makers two mil to first one mil to second one mil to most points most season you know drafters biggest contest last year was what 10k to first and now they're up to 250k we've got all these contests popping up on DraftKings this week and it, it so, sort of feels like a golden age of best ball yeah i mean i think we're we're just starting you know like best ball is going to continue like it, it really wouldn't be shocking to see some something crazy like 10 mil to first in a, in a couple of years or something like that two years ago when i started playing best ball 
you know, like there was no content on it. I just like, mm-hmm. I just stumbled upon it on like clicking the DraftKings app and clicking the NFL button, I'm pretty sure. And then last year there was quite a bit of influential content creators and i just think it, it it feels similar to like poker where in best ball i mean like you know like i'm gonna be sharing things i think is sharp others are gonna be sharing as well so i think you know i don't want to say the edge is gonna evaporate but the, you know the masses are gonna be way more educated but at the same time you know people are gonna do what they want and there's gonna be the amount of people on twitter or, or listening to content is a very small percentage compared to those who are playing in the field and you know just because I took down first does not mean I'm like the authority on best ball you know like obviously you have to run very pure to to win a a huge field contest like that Um, but at the same time I think there's sharp things you can do with building with first place in mind and um, not everyone does that. Yeah, you know, I really like that poker comparison. That's something I've thought of. And what's the line between being humble and then, you know, just accepting, hey, there have only been so many of these tournaments and I am one of the people who won it. Like imagine the inception of like when World Series of Poker first started. And, you know, in the first three years, there have only been so many. And, you know, at this point, you're one of the few people who has shipped one of these contests you know you've, you've got the championship like i don't know i do you approach it as you know i just got lucky or you know hey i am one of the best five best ball players in the world right now <laughs> um no i mean like we should definitely be results oriented and the results prove i'm the best player of all time no i'm, I'm just totally a joke <laughs> um you know it, it's hard like yeah i mean like thinking about that early poker boom like you know the people that are on tv people are like oh they're the best at poker like clearly that's not true but at the same time like i know what my process was i've been chasing huge field contests for a long time you know like i've been a daily fantasy sports player for a long time and i've always fired at these millie maker type contests and you know there's this argument about like oh do we want to advance the most teams or do we want to build with just first place in you know in mine and Last year, I really built with first place in mind. I didn't care about how many teams I advanced, and I think I actually advanced a little under expectation compared to the amount of teams I had. But the teams I did advance were pretty unique compared to the field, um, just the way I built them and the players I had, because I was I was pretty underweight on a lot of the league winners, um, players like Leonard Fournette, players like Cooper Cup on underdog. Um even Mark Andrews, I mean, I was above the field, but he was not my highest owned tight end or anything like that. So the teams I was able to get to the playoffs, I had I felt good about because they were just uniquely constructed and, and the players I had weren't too high owned. Right. So, you know, you're not going to know those things necessarily ahead of time in terms of who's going to be high owned. And especially, you know, when you get to week 17, who makes it through and who's going to be high owned in that situation. But when you talk about building for first place what does that mean to you so i mean def like you know easy thing to do is i looked at the week 17 playoff matchups and two years ago i looked at kind of all i looked at weeks 14 15 and 16 because two years ago week 17 was not the finals it was week 16 mm-hmm. and so i kind of looked at the whole playoffs last year i really hyper focused on week 17 so that's something easy you can do something else is like you know rookies tend to come down as the season gets going so you almost always want to have some rookies on your roster because in those weeks where you know you can where all the money is made 
you want to have players that are going to explode, a la Jamar Chase for me last year. Those are some simple things to do, keeping it in mind. And yeah, I mean, you can't, you cannot plan to have low owned players in the um, playoffs, really. But like, you, you kind of can too. Like Gabriel Davis is an example. I had sixty percent of him on underdog. Pretty absurd when you think about that, because eight percent is matching the field. So I was way over the field. And, you know, like the thesis of him was A, I just thought he was talented. B, I thought he would catch touchdowns because he's a big guy and he plays for a top offense. C, Emmanuel Sanders and Cole Beasley are very old. So the expectation was that they would get managed down the stretch. So while I only had 19 teams make the underdog playoffs, I had six teams in the semifinals because Gabriel Davis went off in that first playoff week. So I was able to advance a lot of teams to the semifinals, which is very hard to do, giving me a good shot to get a team into the finals. Yeah, I, I kind of want to get your thoughts on overexposure versus diversification. But just to put it in context first, I mean, how many teams do you play across all the sites? Like how many teams are you going to have at the end? I'm sure this year with the uh, boosted bankroll, it's going to be a few more than last year. Yeah, this year's going to be more. I can tell you last year I maxed Underdog BBM2. I maxed DK's Millie Maker. So that you're looking at 300 teams right there. And then I had some high stakes on Underdog, high stakes on DK. Um, this year I'm firing at drafters as well, for sure. Um, now that they've bumped first prize up to 250K and it's a different type of contest. Um, and then, yeah, talking about overexposure, I think when you're talking about you know, you need to consider the cost of the player. So if you're going to be, you know, 80% owned a first round player, I mean, that's fine to do. It's just, you know, high risk, high reward. So I'm very fine being overweight on exposure because, you know, what's the worst case that happens? You lose just like almost everyone else. Because, you know, if you're playing these, these large field tourneys for safety, aka you're like, I don't want to be too, you know, heavy exposed to anyone because I don't I don't want to you're worried about risk of ruin. You're worried about your bankroll being zero. Well, you're playing the wrong contest. Like you should be playing cash games really if that's your concern, just be playing standard 12 man contests instead. You know, so I'm very okay being overweight on players I like, and a lot of times like I I'm a proponent for drafting early and late, kind of the barbell approach. You draft a lot early, draft a lot late. Um, and you know, especially with my early teams, I don't care how high exposed I am to someone because costs change over the course of the season. And if I think I'm drafting sharp, a lot of the guys I like early, they get more expensive as the season goes. So I can't build those combinations of players late. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, I definitely think there's a sliding scale of how comfortable I am being, you know, quote unquote, overexposed to a player. Like, you know, there's some people out there who just won't go over a certain threshold, whether it be like 20%, 25%. And after that, they may like a player a lot, but they'll just scale down because they don't want to be overexposed. You know, I've noticed you've caught a little bit of flack on Twitter just for, you know, sort of basically reiterating what you just said and, and being that, you know, you can't be worried about the risk. And I think that that's definitely true. I just don't want to, you know, give away what skill there is in roster construction 
by chancing injury when you can balance it out, especially with, you know, the first three rounds. I I tend not to get overexposed to those players, but the later and later, you know, past round 10, there's really no threshold for me. I mean, speaking of Gabriel Davis, he was my highest owned player period last year as well at about 45%. Yeah, I mean, and I think something to consider is when you think about being heavy owned to a player, you have to look at the players around them and how comfortable are you that someone else in that round could be the player you have to have. So like Gabriel Davis was going around people like Latavius Murray, Dust, right? Like he's going around a, around a lot of dusty old players that I just didn't have interest in. So the risk of being high on him didn't didn't seem like it it was actually too too high. Like there was no true league winners around him. And also I can tell you the guy who took down the DraftKings Millie Maker last year, he did the same thing with, with me where he was very high owned on a lot of people. And I believe he advanced something crazy, like 50% of his teams. Um, wow. And how can you do that? Well, you can only do that if you have a heavy exposure to a lot of league winners. And so I think his core was like, he was getting a lot of Leonard Fournette. He was getting a lot of Cooper Cup. So of course he's going to advance a lot of teams. And then the other thing I can tell you is in the underdog finals, there were multiple people who had three teams in the finals which if you look at that math that's like you know almost impossible to do but how does that happen well you're you're heavily exposed to the players you need to have so you know i would uh i would encourage people to get the players they like obviously you know it's a risky thing where if a player gets down and you're 60 if gabriel davis goes down for the season kind of stinks but you know at his cost it wasn't going to crush me and then i would also consider what position you're being heavily exposed to so wide receiver is a position where usually talent shines through so we can better predict who is going to be good. And then also um, they, they get injured less where if you're going to be, you know, if you're going to have a running back at 60% owned, well, they get injured more. So it's, you know, it's more likely to, to hurt you. Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. You also, when you're talking about the top tier players, some of it's going to be out of out of your control. You know, you can only be so exposed to Jonathan Taylor. So like yeah. if you have the opportunity to get over the field, you kind of have to because it's sort of just luck of the draw and you got to capitalize on that. Yeah, and, and I mean like something like okay, if you have 16% Jonathan Taylor, you have 2x the field. So that's not crazy, yeah. and that really means you're just kind of betting Jonathan Taylor is better than like Cooper Cup and Christian McCaffrey, which if you mm-hmm. want to make that bet, that's good for you. Like I I personally like all three of those guys at the top. All three make sense to me, but I am fading some of the other first round guys a little bit. You want to tell the people who give it, give us a fade, give us a first round fade. Uh, you know, I was off. So last year I was off Derrick Henry. I was off Zeke Elliott and I was off Kamara in the first round. I had almost no teams with any of them. I did get like up to at least like 6% Derrick Henry and underdog where it is half point PPR. And if you're playing on both sites, I would I would think about that. You know, who is going to help your scoring settings? But that can also kind of get you in trouble where I had less Cooper Cup on underdog because I thought he was a PPR guy. And obviously he just crushed. <laughs> um, but this year, sorry, with me fading Derrick Henry last year, I'm finding it pretty hard to click the button this year at his, at his expense. So in the first round, I don't have a lot. I think I have zero shares of Derrick Henry. I'll have a couple. Um, just in case, because, you know, honestly, if a person can conceivably get 25, 30 points, I want them, you know, like, I don't think Derrick Henry's going to have the huge season just with his 
injury concerns, and I think the Titans could be pretty bad. But, you know, the big dog could get 30 points in any game, and if that happens to be in Week 17, you're going to want those points. Yeah, I I, I agree. I mean, I'm going to take a little bit of guys like Henry, uh, Adams I'm a little bit lower on this year, Dalvin Cook I'm a little bit lower on this year, and I think that there are a lot of comparable players, especially in that back end of the first round, top end of the second round that have comparable you know, ceilings to, to those sort of guys. But like you said, I mean, it could come down to Derrick Henry having 45 points in the finals and like, you absolutely need to have him. Like it's difficult to full fade those guys. Am I going to be fine full fading like Miles Sanders? Absolutely. Because I, I just don't see him as a player that could ruin your chances of winning by full fading. I, I mean, I kind of like Miles Sanders this year, just at his cost. I'll, I'll def- I've definitely been taking some stabs there. But um, yeah, that's definitely something to think about. I'm pretty out on Adams at his cost. I mean, obviously, he has a connection with Carr. And it, it's just like the Raiders are pretty hard to predict here because who who's going to suffer here? It can't be Renfro, Waller, and Adams. They're all kind of expensive. They're all good at football. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Devontae Adams is being drafted like he's still with Aaron Rodgers, and, and he's not. And so that's, I'm finding it hard to take him at right there, but I, I got to get some shares because obviously he can do it in any given game. Um, a contest like drafters, well, maybe you're more comfortable fading uh, Devontae Adams if you just think he has a down season because it's season-long points rather than, you know, playoff weeks where a player can spike. Yeah, you know, speaking of that, I'm a pretty big fan of drafters. I like the, you know, total points format. I like that it's full PPR. I like that you get the extra two rounds compared to underdog. Obviously, the top tier prizes are a little bit less, but, you know, so is the field size. So it, it sort of balances out to me. You know, do you still look at things like, the schedule when it comes to drafters where you're not necessarily focused on any one week meaning more than the other like are you looking at strength of schedule or do you specifically only you know take schedule into consideration when it comes down to you know underdog and DraftKings where weeks 15 through 17 are where all the money's made I typically look at which division is playing the other divisions as far as like the AF, which NFC opponents in AFC East has, or for example. So I just kind of know that for both fields. And, you know, like if you, for drafters thinking through it right now, maybe if you take people in the same division, well, you're going to get games that correlate, right? So if you take mm-hmm. Chargers players and Broncos players, you're going to have at least two games that are stacked. So that seems like something that you might want to do with, you know, top tier players. Uh, but I, I'm new to drafters this year, so... I don't think I have the skeleton keys there. I'm definitely thinking through it. I'm going to be firing there, especially because I think it's likely the contest overlays, which is obviously big for any mm-hmm. anyone that enters. And I'm, st- I'm still adjusting my strategy as I go there because, you know, players cost different things on different sites. So it's interesting going through that as well. Yeah, pre-draft, I didn't play at all on underdog. I, I strictly was, you know, focused on maxing that drafters mm-hmm. tournament basically because of what you said, like it looked like it was going to overlay and it did. I mean, it fell short like 2K entries. So I don't know. I mean, it's definitely something worth considering. They've never filled a contest as large as this with 55,000 people or at this price point. I think their biggest price point last year was like $11 for a best ball tournament. So I'm not sure if this one is going to fill, if they're going to catch any of the increased popularity, you know, thanks to underdogs marketing or not. But it definitely seems realistic that this thing could fall well short of 55K entrance. Yeah, I'm going to start, once I get my channels up and running, I think I might even do a weekly 
draft your stream to kind of help you know the, the steam get going for them to help it fill um because I, I i like drafting there and you know i've already fired about 50 underdog teams so i'm trying to pump the brakes until yeah. later in the season and 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 sometimes drafters contests can just be very slow to fill and that's and that no no one likes that no one likes that i mean it's got me playing on DraftKings, which got like their ui is so terrible i don't enjoy drafting there but it's nice you know you got a five dollar draft that fills every like two minutes so yeah. i mean it's got its upside i guess I, it's just the lack of draft board i'm such a visual learner and so like mm-hmm. the n- not having the draft board you have to be paying attention the whole time to know who's been drafted uh so far it's kind of crazy right like DraftKings by far has like the most money behind them and they put out like the worst product (laughs) yeah i don't i don't they're they're really letting competitors thrive is what they're doing um which yeah or i guess they're just so big they don't care Who, who, who knows i think that's what it is it's like to them best ball is just like another thing it's not like their primary focus and that's pretty evident from the product i think yeah but i don't think you know underdog's long-term plan is to strictly be best ball it's a contest you can rake once a year i would guess that they would have the same aspirations as DraftKings, where they would want to get into sports betting and they're building many many positive experiences with users and their mm-hmm. and their software works so i i think they they're a little foolish like you know DraftKings could do a lot more to try to hurt the other sites but who, who knows yeah and i mean you know just from people that i know who like outside of best ball but you know are still into fantasy and sports betting you know they they know underdog more so for their player props like a lot mm. of people, that's what underdog is to them. So it's interesting, you know, sites like them and prize picks and, and what they're doing. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's transition here. And, and I want some player takes. One of each position, somebody that is your guy that you're incredibly bullish on. And, and let's just start at quarterback. You know, who who are you ready to plant your flag on at the quarterback position for this season? Well, are, are we are we considering the cost of a player when we yeah, talk about know, that? value included but you know if it's a top tier guy that you think is still going to outperform you know throw him out there i'll I'll just look at my uh underdog exposures and give you my top my top player uh yeah. so for quarterback jalen hurts i think he is going you know like on underdog he goes after guys like joe burrow he goes after guys like tom brady sometimes i think i like the eagles offense a lot this year hurts is a rushing quarterback who you can pair nicely with a lot of his pieces and i you know i just think it's wheels up for the eagles this year and i'm in on hurts so hurts is definitely a guy i like a lot you know i I like to hear this you know i think that we may have a similar process because you know you were on gabe davis last year that was my highest owned guy right now jalen hurts is my highest owned quarterback as well well, and I'm all aboard. You know, I think Jalen Hurts should easily be going ahead of Burrow just strictly off what he can do as a rusher. And then the other guy that is going ahead of him is Kyler Murray. And I like Kyler quite a bit, but, you know, just on a base level, what are we talking about? Kyler Murray losing Hopkins for six games and Jalen Hurts adding A.J. Brown to the offense. That's enough for me. I think Jalen Hurts is top five this year. Yeah, I'm not fading Kyler by any means. And I probably would. Oh, it's tough. Like I could, I you know, it's it's splitting hairs between Kyler and and Hertz, but you know, Cliff is just such a bad coach. So it's like that that's something you have to consider with the Cardinals as well. And they like to they like to run James Conner in in close. Um, they sure do. Looking at the running backs, I can't give you all Bills players, so I'll skip. I got a lot of Naheem Himes so far this year. He's not a guy who's going to become a league winner, even if. Jonathan Taylor goes down, but I think Carson Wentz does not really target the running backs too much in the, in the passing game. So 
That's why I'm pretty off on McKissick this year. And I'm in on Hines where I think Matt Ryan is likely to target Hines. And the Colts pass catchers after you know they drafted Alec Pierce in the second round but after those guys it's pretty wide open you know Paris Campbell I I always have a lot each year but he can never stay on the field and so I think it's likely we could see two tight end or two running back formations with the Colts and that Hines sees the field as a slot wide receiver there's been a little buzz on that as well interesting Hines hasn't necessarily been on my radar I'll have to look into that do you think that his role is pretty separate from JT you know if he's going to be split out wide it's not necessarily you know taking any of the potential pass catching opportunities that JT will see yeah I think he's a unique player where it's not like I dislike Taylor therefore I'm taking Hines like that's not the thought process at all um it's just I think You know, he's shown that he can have spike games. I think Matt Ryan is a guy, you know, he's very immobile. So he, if he needs to dump it off, it's going to be to someone like Hines. We've not exactly seen Taylor uh, get a ton of passing game work where, I mean, maybe that was a byproduct of Carson Wentz again. And I think he's getting more expensive. So he's not someone I'm chasing as his, his cost rises. Yeah. And you know, Hines, are you still taking him highly on underdog? Is that sort of what you're referring to here? Or is it more of a drafters DraftKings thing where the full PPR is going to be? I have 30% like on underdog right now. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I mean, look, he just seems like a guy who could have spike weeks. You know, obviously he has a very low floor. He, uh, he's not, a, you know, and, and just the way I build, I build, you know, if I'm building like zero running back, he just seems like a guy who could give you some weeks, um, and he sees he sees the field and I just I like the talent. All right. Let's uh let's take it to tight end. We'll save wide receiver for last, everybody's favorite position. Who do you like at tight end this year? You know, gotta get some Bill's Homerism in there. Dawson Knox is a guy I have a, a ton of, and not only do I think that he is going to take the next step where I mean like athletically he compares to George Kittle. Seems to be big boys with Josh Allen. So he's an athletic freak. The other thing that I think that the Bills are going to do more this year. There's been a lot of smoke about them running two tight end formations. And so what does that do if that's the case? It takes the slot wide receiver off the field. So you're taking, you know, Crowder or Shakir or Isaiah McKenzie off the field and you're putting in OJ Howard. OJ Howard will be the blocking tight end. Knox will be the pass catching one. And then that also bumps up what Gabriel Davis and Stefan Diggs should see in the passing game work, as well as perhaps either James Cook. I could see James Cook being the running back they use a lot in two tight end formations because he can be flexed in as the as a slot wide receiver if you want to do that late. Um, and I just think that Josh Allen, with the way he's built, is arguably probably like the best quarterback to run two tight end formations with, where he can run the power O and just run right over you, or he can throw it to one of his pass catchers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, you know, speaking of when you said Bill's tight end, I almost thought you were going to go with OJ Howard, who I've, I've loved to take shots on him. He's free. You know, you can get him in the 20th round of these drafters contests and, you know, any exposure to the Bill's offense in the 20th round is a good pick to me. Yeah. I, 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 maybe I'm a bit gun shy because I had a lot of OJ Howard last year and it's certainly conceivable that he does get more passing game work with Buffalo. I mean, he is an athletic freak as well, but he's just, he's a really good blocking tight end. Knox is not exactly the best blocker in the world. So I, I do need to work in some OJ Howard exposure because you know, tight end is another position that goes gets injured a ton. And, you know, so it wouldn't be shocking for him to have, you know, a couple touchdown season 
if Knox were to go down. Yeah, definitely. You know, man, last year it was such a big mistake how off of Knox I was. I just took this from this one random guy in Discord who posted a screenshot that was supposedly from the Bills wide receiver coach. And this guy was like, you know, Dawson Knox just doesn't have it. And that's what this guy said. And I was, and for some reason, I'm like, all right, bet. I'll take that as gospel and draft no Knox and just absolute pain. Absolute so pain. I actually had a lot of Knox two years ago. And the mistake I made was, you know, I had some, but not nearly as much as I had the year before. The mistake I made is two years ago, the Bills ran four wide receivers at a high clip. And I just assumed they were going to do that again. Last year, they did not. They ran three wide receivers and one tight end at a high clip. So they changed. And I think they're going to be changing again because the NFL is constantly changing. And so that, like, that's why I was hammering all the Bills wide receivers, but they, they didn't run four wide receivers at nearly as high a clip as, as they used to. And that's mm-hmm. what made Knox smash. Do you think that, so you, you do believe that that's going to continue this year and it'll be more two tight ends, less, you know, getting McKenzie and, and Crowder and, you know, everybody out there at once. I think it'll be like, you know, they were like the last in the NFL, I think at two tight ends or something last year. I think they'll get, you know, so like that was like 8%. I'm going to guess that's going to be closer to 20% or at least I think they're going to try it and guess if they, if it doesn't work then they can change it. Um, and they got, you know, they have OJ Howard's a great second tight end. They also have this uh, undrafted rookie, Jalen Weidemeyer or something like that, who most people are predicting will make the roster. And that's a huge, you know, improvement over Tommy Sweeney as their second tight end or whoever the hell they were rolling out last year. So that's, that's what I'm thinking. All right. Interesting. And, you know, not to just turn this into a, a Bill's podcast, <laughs> but you did mention James Cook a little while ago, and he probably saw the single biggest boost in ADP value post draft. I mean, he was going super late and now he's going, you know, borderline right around, you know, pick 100. Devin Singletary's right in that range as well. I mean, how much is, is Cook going to eat into Singletary's workload and i mean are you still bullish on singletary i guess that's what i'm sort of dealing with right now because i look at it and i I mean yeah cook should be a factor but i still kind of like singletary at price to be honest yeah it never made sense to me why james cook was was going so late uh pre-draft i i think i had a ton of him pre-draft then when he got signed by buffalo I mean, he is my highest owned running back on underdog, but I've not been getting him lately because he's getting really expensive. And yeah, I still want exposure to Singletary, but it really feels like it's going to be one of those two guys. And, you know, I I don't think we should be saying Zach Moss is dead here. We should probably be taking an occasional, you know, late round stab there because having players that no one else has in the playoffs is hugely valuable. Running backs get injured. I like James Cook's talent. I like, you know, Singletary's came down huge down the stretch and especially Bills games late in the season, like games at home, especially like that wind is very tough to th- to throw in. And it seems like McDermott wants to run the ball more. I'm not a big proponent of that, but it seems like he wants to have the threat of running and they got um their, their O-line is much improved where they got guys that fit their scheme more this year yeah and and, you know i know that it's like fantasy twitter's most usual reaction to things like this is you know they take a second round rookie so it's r.i.p singletary but i just don't view it that way i think he showed them so much especially during you know the final part of the season and during the playoffs that he has to have earned some level of adoration in that building and i I just don't see him not being heavily involved in this offense and anybody heavily involved in this offense needs to be on uh, these rosters i think 
Yeah, he's he's no threat to like take a carry to the house, but uh, he just he's very shifty. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'll definitely have. I got quite a bit of Singletary. All right, the moment that we've all been waiting for <laughs> your your favorite wide receiver this year. Who's who's this year's Gabe Davis? Well, Gabe Davis is my highest own. Uh, you know, <laughs> but I'll get I'll give you three other guys that I have quite a bit of. Right now, I have quite a bit of Curtis Samuel, Robbie Anderson, and Russell Gage. So three. Okay. Old veterans who are not exactly sexy players, but I mean, Robbie Anderson, I think is just good at football. I don't know really what happened last year. We're just kind of hoping that he gets a bump with Matt Corral. Um, And he goes in like the 17th round. Same with Curtis Samuel. Curtis Samuel two years ago had like a 180 point season underdog, which is huge. Um, He was so injured last year. I'm just hoping that he gets healthy, he, and he, he's kind of used like Debo, where he gets lots of uh, rushing, you, you know, attempts too. So, you know, Washington did sign the rookie Jahan Dotson, um, but I don't know. Curtis Samuel has like four two speed, and I just I'm not ready to to bury him yet. And you know, if he's a 17th round wide receiver, he shouldn't crush your roster anyways. And the Russell Gage, we saw three wide receivers and Gronk do it with the Bucks last year. Brady personally called Gage and was like, hey, sign here. Um, we saw the spike weeks last year. And so he's he's getting more and more expensive. He's 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 like jumped a couple rounds, but I'm a believer in the situation. The only thing that should give you a little pause is possibly the Bucks do sign Julio. I'm not really sure. Will Fuller's still out there. Um, obviously there's a couple wide receivers that could sign that could hurt. Um, but you know, I'm, I've been taking gauge because we don't even know how many games Chris Godwin's going to get. So he, and, and then Mike Evans, just that structure of a wide receiver, big bodied, they can really hit their wall really at any, any point. Right. No, that, that definitely makes sense. And I just think the way that the Bucks will probably use Russell Gage, his values most connected to Chris Godwin's health and how quickly he comes back. I mean, he could definitely still be heavily involved when Godwin comes back, but we do have sort of a built-in at least threshold of a couple weeks where Gage should just primarily run the slot on that team, you know, regardless of like, you know, if they signed Julio or Will Fuller or whomever, it's not like those guys would be in the slot taking those, you know, snaps away from Russell. So yeah, Gage, I love that. And I love Robbie Anderson too. Even when Godwin comes back, though, like I would imagine the Bucks would want to do Mike Evans on the outside, Godwin on the outside, and Gage in the slot. Um, right. It, assuming, uh, assuming, or maybe Gage on the outside, but I, I think he'd still be on the field um, unless you know some undrafted free agent starts shining. Who knows? Like, you know, he's definitely a guy who could who has a low floor, but I think the ceiling is there, like we saw with Antonio Brown. Not not to compare Russell Cage to Antonio Brown. You know, how do you handle those situations like this late in the offseason? I mean, I guess it's relatively early, but we have been drafting for months, you know, with guys like Will Fuller and Julio who remain unsigned. Are you still taking shots on them? Will Fuller will bury me for years. Like, you know, I just believe in the talent. I, I really don't have a lean where he's going to sign or, or what's going on with him. Like, there's almost no news on him. It, and it's very possible, like, he just doesn't want to play football anymore, but... I definitely want some Will Fuller. Um, Julio, I wasn't really taking, but and if he signs with the Ravens, I'm not. That's not an exciting signing spot for him in my mind. If he signs with the Bucks, 
that is an exciting signing spot. So I don't know. Like I don't have a ton of Julio. He's just so you know he's so old and injury ridden that I think it's unlikely he lasts the season. But I should be getting some shares, and I and I do have a little bit of them. So it really depends on the caliber of the player if I'm going to be taking them. Like Will Fuller, still young. You know, like arguably him taking PEDs was maybe good for his long term career. Like I, I'm not really sure. I'm not knocking him for that, but yeah, I, th- that's how I kind of approach it. Yep, and and I mean, I definitely agree with you, Will Fuller. To me, it's like where could he sign that his value is going to drop from where it's at at wide receiver seventy? It's like it's almost guaranteed to go up just based off getting a landing spot. Any landing spot, I feel like, will boost his value. So to me, it's just like take shots now and hope that it breaks your way. And at worst, you'll be breaking even if it's a quote unquote bad landing spot. But I mean, he's twenty eight years old. I, I just don't see him not playing this year. There's just, I, I don't see it. And, you know, there's definitely upside. I think that one of the most likely landing spots is probably Cleveland, you know, yeah. reunited with his boy. And that would be phenomenal. Cleveland's the most likely spot. I don't really know how many games Watson's going to play. I wouldn't hate seeing him sign with, with Jacksonville because who is the wide receiver to there? And I'm not ready to bury Lawrence and say that he's dust, you know, like, I'm back in on him a little bit, um, mm-hmm. but those are the two spots I, I could see. I think that makes sense. And with that, Liam, I, I want to thank you for coming on the show. You mentioned that you were going to be starting some stuff on YouTube. Is there anything you want to plug or are we just sort of still in the uh, the gestation process? I'll, I'll have that up and running in, in a week or so once I officially kick COVID. I'm, I'm almost through mm-hmm. it, I think. So you can just follow me on Twitter at Chess Liam and Thanks for having me on, Ben. Absolutely. Thank you for coming on. And that is going to be it for episode 210 of the DFS Dose podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at the DFS Dose. My personal Twitter is at Ben Hover. Like Liam said, he is at Chess Liam. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on in the podcast, you can join our free Discord channel. The link to do that is in the show notes to the podcast. To everybody listening out there, we appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic. Bye.